Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. Our text today is going to be taken from the reading in the Gospel of Luke. You may be seated. We begin this morning with a word of prayer. Father in heaven, we give you thanks that you have given us all that we need in your Son, Jesus Christ. And we thank you, Lord, that no matter what we face in this life, you promise to be with us and to never leave us and never forsake us. But Lord, at times uh, we forget this. And sometimes for us it feels as though that's not enough. Forgive us for these times, Lord, and teach us to trust in you no matter what we might be facing. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Before we get into the sermon, I've got to tell you a quick story. I, uh, I forgot uh, that I was supposed to do the children's message this morning. So in last service, I, I said, we invite the children to come forward for children's message, and nobody came up. And I realized it was me. And so I, I started walking forward, and I said, uh, I guess there's no one here to do children's message. I suppose I'll do it today. Two kids were walking forward at that point, and when I said, I suppose I'll do it today, I turned around, and the kids ran as fast as they could back to their seats. I don't, I don't know how to take that, uh, but <laughs> we then locked the doors in case anyone else got the same idea. All right, so. So this morning, as we get into the message here today, I want to talk about what does it mean to be successful? How do you define success in your life? Now, I, I would venture to guess that the way we define success would depend on what life circumstance we're talking about or what life situation we're talking about. So, like, if I ask you, what does it mean to be successful in business? My guess is that we're going to say it's something along the lines of making money. Uh, rising up on the corporate ladder, getting raises, being successful means having a steady job, something along these lines, that's how we might define success. What if we were talking about in school? What does it mean to be successful in school? Uh, I guess we would probably say it means getting good grades, graduating with honors, uh, having friends, making uh, good social contacts, something like that. Maybe that's how we would define success in school. What about in our family life, like in a marriage? What does it mean to have a successful marriage? Well, it, it means to, to, to stay married. It means that you keep her happy and that you get him to do whatever you ask. What does it mean? <laughs> Some of you caught that. Uh, son, what does it mean uh, to be successful in your personal life? For you personally, how do you define success? Achieving your dreams, having financial security, being able to provide for those you love. I would imagine there's a lot of definitions here of how we would talk, how we would define success. But now let me ask you this question. What does it mean to be successful in the church? What does a successful church look like? Now this is a rather tricky question. And though I bet if I were to ask everybody here individually, what does a successful church look like? And we all got a bunch of different answers. My guess is that ultimately it would come down uh, to some sort of numbers answer. What does it mean to have a successful church? Well, we would say a church that has a lot of people in the pews on Sunday morning as regular attenders. A successful church is one that's growing constantly, always bringing in new members. We would have a lot of people involved with our various Bible studies and our various ministry opportunities. Maybe we wouldn't want to gauge it by new, just pure numbers, but we might want to gauge it by spiritual growth, however we would do that. Are people growing uh, stronger in their knowledge of the word? Are they growing stronger in their faith towards God and love towards one another? How we would gauge that, that becomes a very difficult conversation, but maybe that's how we would describe a successful church. One that is growing spiritually and growing numerically. 
And we would look at these numbers, we would look at these definitions of success, and we would say, if those numbers are increasing, that must mean that we are a church that is blessed by God. Success equals blessing. Now, before we move on from this, we need to understand something here very clearly. That everything I just listed to you uh, for a church is very good and very important. These are things we should work towards. These are things we should pursue. Of course, we want more people coming to church on Sundays, right? We want more people involved with the life of our congregation where they're hearing God's word and worship, learning it in Bible study, and caring for everybody that God gives to them. That's what we're all about here at CLC. We're getting people focused on Jesus. This is what matters, and these are good things. However, we have to be very careful when we start to decide whether or not the church is successful with any sort of um, metric or, or numerical, uh, uh, numerical metric. Something like that. <laughs> because here's the problem. In our culture, success is an idol. And we must be careful when such litmus tests define success for us. Because in our culture, in the American mindset, success equals blessedness. Success equals righteousness. If you are making money, God must be blessing you. If your church is growing, God must be blessing our work. Success equals blessing. Success equals righteousness. But we have to be careful with that sort of thinking. Because if, say, our church is dwindling, does that mean Jesus doesn't love us anymore? If I'm struggling in my personal life or a business, does that mean God has rejected me? I don't think so. We can learn something, I think, today from the account we have from Luke chapter 10 when we run into these 72 disciples that Jesus sends out to do ministry. Now, these guys believe they were experiencing a great amount of success, but Jesus has to temper their mentality today. The account we have today goes like this. Jesus had sent these 72 disciples of his out into villages, and he sends them out with a message of peace. He's about to enter these villages, and before he gets there, he's sort of paving the way with these disciples. And they're to bring this message of peace. And Jesus says, when you arrive with my peace, speak that peace in the town, and you will have unparalleled success. Everybody will listen to you, and everybody will love you. Right? Not at all. Jesus says, I'm sending you out as lambs among wolves. To which uh, Jeff Johnson said, maybe we should have the kids stand up at this point and sing, I am Jesus' little lamb, but it has a different connotation. So I'm not sure it's going to work. But he says, listen, you'll go to some towns and you will find success. You'll preach peace and you will find uh, a son of peace there. And when you do, uh, stay at their house, let them provide for you, perform the work of ministry there, and proclaim the good news that the kingdom of God has come near to them. But Jesus says, listen, that's not going to happen everywhere you go because you are sheep among wolves. And some will reject you. Now understand, if they reject you, they're rejecting me. And in rejecting me, says Jesus, they're not just rejecting me, but my Father who sent me and the peace that I bring. At that point, when you are rejected, go into the street and declare, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know that the kingdom of God has come near. And so what we have here today, I actually think, is somewhat of a frustrating account in Scripture. Because we know that the Scriptures are 100% 
true. These are eyewitness accounts here in the Gospels of what Jesus said, of what Jesus did, and this ministry is actually what took place. And it's sort of frustrating because we want the Bible, though we love that it's true, and we're so happy that it's true. There's times, I think, we kind of wish it was more like a fairy tale. That these guys would just walk into the city and as soon as they arrived there would be a parade for them. Everybody would be singing and celebrating and everybody would be rejoicing. And we would have this wonderful happily ever after where every single person in every single town came to believe in Jesus. And guess what? It just doesn't happen that way. It just doesn't work. The disciples don't necessarily achieve success right away. Though, though actually it is worth noting that initially they did achieve success. And initially they believed that this sort of meant they were on this golden ticket to the ministry of Jesus Christ because they were walking into towns and as they began to preach, the demons began to flee from them and they were enjoying this success so much so that when they came back to Jesus, they came back with joy. And this is what they said, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. Yeah, you gave us warnings. You told us we would be rejected. You sent us out as sheep among wolves. But who's afraid of the big bad wolf? The demons are fleeing from us. Look at the success we're experiencing. It can't get any better than this, right, Jesus? Now, I want you to notice here that when we experience joy in our lives, when we have things go on in our lives and in our church that the world would deem as successful, we should follow the example here of the 72 and give thanks to God. Of course, we always give thanks to God for the blessings we receive from Him. However, we must be careful that we do not wrongly equate this success as proof of God's righteousness. Because you see, it, too often we forget things, uh, too often we forget sort of the bad times. And when we go through the bad times and we wonder if we're going through bad times, does that mean Jesus does not bless us? Does that mean we're lacking success? Does that mean we've lost favor with God? What we forget is sort of what just happened pre in the previous chapter here in Luke. At the end of Luke chapter 9, Jesus doesn't experience success at all by worldly standards. He goes to one Samaritan village and he just wants to pass through on his way to Jerusalem and they won't even let him enter the town. Then Jesus starts calling people to follow after him and one after the other they reject him because they have better things to do. Jesus even says today in our reading, uh, speaking to a number of towns where he has gone in and preached his word and performed miracles and doing all these wonderful and thrilling things, and they rejected him in those towns. And Jesus says, listen, it's going to be more bearable on the day of judgment for Sodom than it will be for these towns that have rejected me. So what do we say? That Jesus wasn't successful in his ministry because he was rejected? See, as I've been saying here, we don't want to equate blessedness and righteousness with success in our efforts because then we will very quickly begin to feel beat up and condemned and abandoned and frustrated. Forgetting that Jesus has sent us out as sheep among wolves. That is, he has us as his disciples in a world that is hostile towards him and his followers. And despite our best efforts, the world will remain this way. By the world's standards of success, it would seem that not even Jesus himself was successful. I mean, after all, the very people he came to save crucified him. Does that mean he failed? That does that mean Jesus wasn't successful? And perhaps by the world's standards, guess not, I guess not. But you see, here's the thing with Jesus. He's not bowing down to the world's idol of success. He's not judging success the way we judge success. Jesus has no time for such things, and we should perhaps should learn from this. 
that our addiction to success is something that you and I both probably need to repent of. Because what matters in the kingdom of God is not our numerical success or financial viability or financial security or how appealing our ministries are to the world or any of this stuff. What matters in the kingdom of God is that Jesus Christ has died for your sins and saved you. What matters in the kingdom of God is the proclamation and the announcement that God has reconciled, that Jesus has reconciled you to the Father in heaven and your name is written in heaven. It is the word for you that matters. 72 come back thrilled that they have been casting out demons and listen to what Jesus says to them. All right, impressive, but I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the powers of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. What matters in in the kingdom of God is not your success and not your failures. It is the salvation of Jesus Christ, which he has won for you. And think about how this changes the way we do things in our lives, how we do things in the church and in our ministry. When our eyes are fixed on Jesus and our focus is on the preaching of the word, we simply preach the word, we simply proclaim the good news, we simply love one another, trusting that Jesus will handle the results. But if our focus is on the results and our focus is on success, oftentimes we'll compromise the gospel just to get better results. That, becomes, that comes from a false idea that proof of God's favor, proof of God's righteousness for us is based on numbers. And we begin to fear when the numbers dwindle. And this is why Jesus says to you and I this morning these words. It's as though Jesus is saying this to us today. Though I have given and I have taken away, do not rejoice in these things. But it's as though Jesus says, rejoice in this. The death I died was in your place. The blood I shed has washed away your sins. Your name is engraved in the palm of my nail-pierced hand so that no matter what you might face, Jesus says, highs or lows, victory or loss, failure or success, Jesus says, I am your God and I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. For his love for you does not demonstrate itself in your worldly success his love for you demonstrates itself when you come to the altar today and he gives you his body and blood and the bread and wine for the forgiveness of your sins he, he, his commitment to you doesn't waver based on whether or not you're having a good week his commitment to you doesn't waver based on how many people are coming to church no his commitment to you is based on whether or not he died and rose for your salvation, and he has. So Jesus says, rejoice in this. I have written your name in heaven. As one author said it, and I I really like this phrase, you and I in Christ are not condemned to success. Rather, in baptism, we have received the promise of Jesus Christ, the promise of eternal life through his saving work for you. So now you are free. You're free to get to work. You are free to preach the gospel, to share the good news, to bring hope to the hopeless, and live securely as sheep among wolves, knowing for certain that you are a sheep of the good shepherd, and his love will never fail you. So as you gather here and as you leave this place today, rejoice in this, 
your name is written in heaven. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks that your love for us does not depend on our success, but rather your love for us is based on Jesus' death and resurrection in our place. We thank you that you will never leave us, that you will never forsake us, and that we are secure in the palm of your hand. Help us, Lord, then to be bold in our lives, not fearing results, but trusting your mercy. We thank you for the salvation that is ours. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.